A bit about myself. Um, well, I started off um, in the music industry really after performing at a talent competition at school. Uh, and well, it wasn't really a talent competition, it was just showcasing um, your talents at school um, in one of our sort of assembly morning, morning assemblies. And um, me and my band, we actually performed for the whole school. Um, and we went down a storm. Uh, and really, that was the start of a long journey in this, mu this music business, really, because um, that encouraged us and inspired us to go on to bigger and better things. Absolutely, four of us went to the same school, and um, that was Wills and High, which is no longer. Yeah, so it started off all there when it, when it was a comprehensive school. Um, and um, four of the guys went to that school, and one other went to John Kelly. And yeah, that's, 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 that's how we started. And then, you know, I used to rehearse in my, um, my bedroom um, at home. Um, and, uh, you know, people used to come from school and hear about the band rehearsing in my bedroom and want to pay. Well, they didn't want to pay. They wanted to come and see us rehearse. Mm -hmm. And then my dad said, you know, this could be an income earning opportunity, you know. Because we're burning up electricity, you know, that business, you know. <laughs> So I didn't actually do that, but um, we had to curtail the numbers of people that was coming to see our rehearsals in the end. But it was very, it was very uh, innovative because it was my bedroom, so I used to pop my bed against the wall, sit a pile of drums them and instruments then, and that's what we used to rehearse about two or three times a week, you know, until my dad said, um, well, you know what, Leroy, this can't go on, you know, because we noticed some cracking at the ceiling, but that the beer spinner crack up the ceiling. So then I had to find other places to rehearse um, and move the rehearsal away from my bedroom. Funny enough, we grew up in a culture whereby there was a lot of um, the Rastafarian movement was strong then. And, you know, um, if you were a reggae musician, it was automatically associated Rastafarianism. I never went as far as luxing up my head because my mother would have put me up on road. No. Uh, because she said, no, no, then them people that have them kind of image there, eh, 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 the police just spot, pinpoint them people there and, and cause trouble with them. Mm. So she said, no, you, 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 you can't wear them, them tea cozy, tam she used to call it. So I was a clean cut reggae musician. Um, and up to now, yeah, I mean, I read lots of me and Mr. Labalit. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of people, obviously, um, what we used to call funky dreads. So they didn't practice the teachings of Rastafarianism, but then love the image and the music still. And then you had people that actually um, loved reggae music, but they didn't want to go the whole way into the um, Rastafarianism. So yeah, um, we had uh, a guy, and he still is actually at Dread, in the band. Um, and then the drummer, he, he, he actually didn't practiced the religion but he actually became a dread as well so you know it was an image that was associated with reggae and still is as you know but no my 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 my, my love for reggae music is it, it, it's in the blood because i had an uncle uh, my father's brother that was in the music business he was one of the four first jamaican recording artists he used to um there used to be a, a duo called higgs and wilson um joe higgs and Roy Wilson. Roy Wilson was my uncle. Those guys had some 
big hits, one of the first Jamaican recording artists. And I want to tell you, it was Siaga, who used to be a record producer in Jamaica that brought them in the studio, you know. So it's in the blood that, that my, my, my mother said when I was... I, I used to do music. I mean, you used to have options, and I'm sure you still have options at school. Mm. And most people, the options they went for was biology or history. Um, my option, and very few people went for that option, was music. Music was my love, my life. I actually started playing piano in the church. And, um, you know, people recognised that I had this talent. And um, I said, yeah. They said, why don't you, you do something else with that talent, you know? And I didn't know what to do with it. And, and, and I said, yeah, um, there's a, why don't we form a band? And me and a few other you know, guys from school said, let's form a band, you know? And, and the rest is history, really. Home was in Halston. Inspiration, really. I mean, you know, I was inspired by other um, foundation makers of reggae music in the area. I call them foundation makers. The likes of the Cimarons, the likes of Aswad, um, the likes of Misty and Roots, although I don't think they were any more West London. Misty and Roots was more West London. But certainly Aswad and, 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 and um, Cimarons was definitely northwest london and i saw them guys and i said yeah i like what they're doing i want to do something like that mm -hmm. you know and they were they were my inspiration then you had other groups like tradition mm -hmm. um you know um i i think um pat she interviewed paul dawkins the other day he was one of the original lead singers of tradition so i looked up to them guys you know we were about i don't know five six years younger than them guys and they were our inspiration. So that's what was going, around, going on in the community, you know. And then um, there was a, our first big gig was a place called the Roxy Theatre in Craven Park. It's not there anymore. It's flats there now. But that was a music venue in the middle of Halsden called Roxy Theatre. That was our first big gig with which we actually performed. We were a support band to the Cimarans. Not to mention the likes of Hawkeye Record Store in Craven Park. It was a very good friend of the family as well, Hawkeye, Roy Forbes, Ellen. That's a guy that I respect highly. You know, he's a big entrepreneur in Halston. And he was a good friend of the family as well. So he inspired me as well. He used to sell records from his front room. Reggae, if you, you know, um, my parents played reggae music at home. So obviously... You are influenced by the music that's being pl played at home. Uh, you liked what you heard, and you wanted to reproduce that sound. Um, and, and, and yeah, my parents, they were big lovers of reggae. They weren't so much lovers of the roots music, roots reggae music that followed. They used to call that boof boof music, and, and my mother said that used to depress her. She feel like she want to try herself up at this. Yeah. I said, <laughs> <laughs> but they loved the the Heptones and the Gregory Isaacs and the Dennis Browns. You know, that's the sort of music that's being played in my my yard. Yeah, there was Tavistock Youth Centre. Now there used to be a sound system that I still think he's around, but Shaka, the Shaka sound system, used to play at Tavistock Youth Centre, and I remember. I used to sneak out of my yard for go listen Shaka. Tavistock Youth Centre was just off Craven Park. But that was my first experience of going into a dance and people used to go to school the following day and start talking about the dance they went to the previous night. 
I shouldn't have been there because I'm sure I should have been in my bed. <laughs> or Miss Nico to the window. And I want to tell you, one night, Miss we come in, we're climbing back through the window, and I don't know who locked the window. But the window was locked. I mean, it's a bad thing though, but I, I take ladder out to the garden and climb up another window that was, I just kind of like opened it slightly and, and I got in that way. It's changed big time now, Kyron, because you find that um, they have so much choice now. There's so many genres out there now. You know, um, you have hip hop, you have house, you have grime, you have uh, drill music, you have so many different genres now um, that people have, I almost find that people have too much choice now. Um, and we were, if you like, not exposed to too many other genres. It was either reggae music or pop music. You didn't want to be associating your culture and identity with English music that wasn't part of your culture uh, and pop. So reggae music was a, an identity, something you could identify with. And, um, and funny enough, I admired the fact that a lot of reggae music was getting played on mainstream radio as well so at one point and we were on a crest of a wave with reggae music at one point because of the Trojan Trojan records Trojan records um, and you can get their back catalogue now they, they pioneered a lot of their early stuff went into the national charts um, the Barry Biggs and the John Holtz uh, the Dennis Browns, um, the, 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 the Ken Booths. Um, when I heard the music being played on national radio, I said, yes, I'm proud, I was proud. You know, we're getting there, you know? Sadly, all these years down the road, that sort of plateaued off. And why did it plateau off? It plateaued off because, unfortunately, some people it came, some people brought the reggae music with an attitude. They didn't have a probably, they probably didn't have proper business acumen to sell the genre. Um, there was maybe an element of ignorance um, when they're talking to some of your white counterparts, you know. Um, when it comes to business, you don't have to know how to flex. Some people didn't want to flex. They actually kept it raw. And the man that some of them, some of the white counterparts were saying, well, this guy's got an attitude. We don't want to deal with him. That's one of the reasons. One of the other reasons is because people, there's a element, there's a, there's a, there's a great deal of nepotism that goes on as well. You know what I mean by nepotism? People that look after their own. So it happens in football as well. People who make it in football because their fathers were managers, their fathers owned the club. So they brought their offspring through the academy. But we couldn't make the grade because we didn't have a stepping stone. We didn't have people to bring us on. You know, we didn't have the helping hand of nepotism, you know? And the same thing with reggae music. If you don't have some of your own people that look like you in positions that can open doors, they ain't open the door for you. And certainly that happened with reggae music and that wave, the Trojan Records, that, that crest of a wave that Trojan Records pioneered, it, it, it unfortunately just plateaued off and it's very sad that we, have, we still have this fight to this day trying to get reggae music played on national reggae.
There's a regular community. Um, there's a regular community mainly for festivals. Europe, reggae is big in Europe. Festivals are big in Europe. Um, reggae community will always exist because you've got community radio stations that pioneer, still pioneer and play reggae music. Reggae to the world, you know, reggae till you, till you die. The community radio stations, we've got them to be thankful for. Um, but at the same time, some of these community radio stations, Chiron, is just a man and his dog listening to it. Um, that's an extreme example, of course, but the audiences aren't big enough. And, and just think about this, the more community radio stations you have, is the more, sadly, it becomes diluted, because not everybody can be listening to every station at the same time, you understand? So the more community radio stations you have, you have little pockets, of, smaller pockets of audiences. Whereas if you have one big recognized radio station, like back in the day when Tony Williams and David Rodgan used to play reggae music at weekends, big audience because it's the only place you could hear reggae, you understand? So everybody used to tune in to David Rodgan and Tony Williams and they played reggae. And another guy called Steve Barnard mm. as well he used to play reggae music on mainstream radio. Mm. Only a two hour show. Mm. Somebody was only a one hour show. But a massive audience. You know cinema play reggae music but national radio now? Yeah. Tune in. Everybody tuned in. But now they got too much choice. You don't, for example, we used to have a One Love Festival that used to happen every year in London. The police moved it out of London because they said of, of, of crowd control and problems. Um, anything that we, that we kick off big, that's why they wanted to get rid of Not Nail Carnival. Anything that we can identify with and it grows, the police get very nervous about it. They find it very difficult to police it. So they moved one of the festivals out of London. Now they, they happen somewhere in some remote farm in... <laughs> In Glastonbury, you know, or somewhere out there, you know. Um, sadly, not everybody can find them where to Glastonbury, you know. So it's moved out of London. You don't get festivals in London anymore. Well, you access reggae through the community radio stations. You access reggae through dances. Now, um, there opens up another argument when you go to dances now and, and clubs. Um, the reggae music that you're hearing are those that, um, what they call the artists get a boss. The boss artists get a deal with the likes of Sony and major record companies like Chronix and, 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 and the coffees of the world at the moment. It was doing very well at the moment. They, but you can count them on one hand. The people that are having these success uh, through reggae music. I mean, there's other people making a living out of it, don't get me wrong. Um, I know Winston Francis, for example. I don't know if you've had this interview with Winston yet. Um, but Winston Francis is somebody that I admire because Winston's never short of work. Winston goes out and, 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 and plies his trade, makes sure that he gets work. Others can do that, but it's a fine. So, me personally, I've never given up my day job because um, I didn't want to be a struggling musician. Um, and um, for every Winston Francis, there's 50 other struggling reggae musicians, unfortunately. They haven't quite made it, you know. Um, they're having to do painting and decorating to supplement um, the meagre income they get from reggae music. It's, it's a fight. It's a big fight. You get lots of PAs as well. I, think, I don't like P 
PAs because PAs um, don't. PAs is when you perform just with a mic and a backing track. I prefer. I think the the future for reggae is live, live reggae music. Like I said, the festivals and the live um, performances. Um, it just has to seem. It just seems to have a, a more of an energy. It appeals to a wider audience. Live music, personal appearances. Yeah. You, I, I can get lots of work through personal appearances, my, me and my band. But we're very choosy with what work we take for PAs because if you're not careful, you can overexpose yourself through personal appearances. You can overexpose, you can prostitute yourself. And that's putting it in a mildly, you know, because you, you, you don't get what's your full worth, what you do. Um, it's short-lived because people are hearing Yes, what your latest single may be, um, but they don't hear your whole catalogue. Whereas with live music, they're more likely to hear your wider catalogue. Um, so yeah, live music to, is, is the way forward for reggae music. As I said, there was quite a few artists that did start to get their reggae artists that started to get their music played on national radio, uh, but it did plateau off. Mm -hmm. And then you had Bob Marley. Bob Marley proved that you can get your music heard, you can get the message heard, and Bob Marley was a great philosopher, so he had lots of messages in his music that appealed to not only his own black people, but it appealed to the white audience as well. So, and let's remember as well, the person that's actually put Bob Marley on the map was a guy called Chris Blackwell of Island Records. And Island Records was a major record label, um, but he only had the one act. Bob Marley and the Whalers, for real, you know, um, and that's the rest is history about Bob Marley. We all know that the success that Bob went on to be, but wouldn't it be nice if there were fifty other Bob Marleys? And when you the, the, the white people talk about reggae, they don't just say, "Oh, Bob Marley," they say, "Yes," they can name about a dozen more in addition to Bob Marley. You a lot of white people will struggle to name other artists associated with reggae other than Bob Marley. That's an issue. There could have been more record labels like Island Records that took the risk because reggae was considered a risk. If they took the risk like Chris Backwell did with Island Records, reggae would be even bigger now. So I'm trying to put a positive spin on it as well, Karen, because you know I don't think it's dead. We have to be very careful because you have what we call UK lovers and you have what we call Jamaican reggae music. Um, Jamaican reggae music, just like R&B, a lot of people will say that originated from the States, but you have English people playing R&B as well. But people still say the real stuff is from the States. Jamaican reggae music, the real stuff is from Jamaica. But it doesn't mean that you can't have just as good as quality reggae music being produced and is being produced in the UK. But there are some people that still want to separate the two. And there's still people, some people that say, well, yes, you know, there's a saying that says a king is never respected in his own country. You know, he must have to go abroad to get respect. You know, he has to move out of his own country to get respect. And it's a bit the same with UK reggae music. Mm. You know, I, I hope I live to see the day when UK's reggae music is not only respected in the UK, but is respected worldwide. We haven't quite gained that respect like Jamaican reggae artists yet. And I still think that's down to exposure, you know. 
if, if, you, if you, you don't need to force feed people, but music is a very funny thing. The more you hear it, is the more you think, yeah, I like that. But people are not getting a chance to hear it as often as they should. That's what I mean by force fed. Some crap, sorry pardon my language, crap music has been produced uh, and is played on national radio. But because you're hearing it constantly, you start to think, actually, you find yourself humming it. See, I hate that tune, why am I humming it? I hate that tune. <laughs> because it's being force-fed to you. People don't realise it, they're being force-fed it. Because, you, you, you know, you have the lights of the police, um, you know, Sting, um, who played what they call white reggae. Um, it was a combination of rock and reggae. A musician and a band that I, I admire greatly. Um, you have the likes of UB40, who, have, who play what I call a diluted reggae, but still heavily influenced by Jamaican reggae. And some UK reggae too, because I know guys that actually teamed up with um, that band, um, UB40, um, a saxophonist um, by the name of um, Buttons, um, uh, Henry Tenu, and Patrick Tenu, they're brothers, he plays a trumpet. And, and they used to play with UB40, um, and they're UK musicians. Um, so reggae music has influenced a lot of other genres and other cultures greatly. The only trouble is, I think there's a, that pie should be big enough for everybody to be able to, be able to eat out of. At the moment, there's only a chosen few that are eating out of that pie, you know, and, that, and that's a sad thing. So, you know, we, to some extent, have to claim back some ownership because some people have taken our, our genre and they've run with it and they've made more success out of it than some of us. And obviously that's because they were overly influenced by it. Mm. David Rodigan, some people give David Rodigan a hard time. I have nothing against David Rodigan. David Rodigan doesn't claim to have made a lot of reggae artists and put them on the map and bust them. But David Rodigan knows how to document the music. He knows how to get people, tells a story around the music. And he does it very well. And that's where a wider audience have been um, captivated by, by the reggae that, that, that David Rodigan plays. I have nothing wrong, nothing against David Rodigan, just because he just happens to be white, but he loves reggae music. Mm. You know? Um, so, we too, a lot of us, sadly... Because we love the music, we take it for granted a bit. We don't realise there's an element of business that you have to put into the genre, you know. We just try our thing, we just want to play music. There comes a time when you've got to put the business into the thing that you love, you know. And um, only a few of us are just catch, catching on to that now, which is where reggae fraternity comes in, because reggae fraternity recognise there's, there's, there's still a gap out there where we have to put the business back into reggae. My band, Arima, we, 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 we still produce music. Two of the guys live in Sweden now, so we don't produce as much music as we'd love to. But nevertheless, we are a bit of a UK household name for reggae. National recognition and international recognition would be nice, um, but we're still a, more of a UK household name. But we're not alone. There's lots of very talented UK reggae artists out there which are still, we're still struggling to get their music heard. 
there's lots of youngsters that are buying into the genre now. Uh, we recognise, reggae fraternities recognise, we don't want them to have the same struggle. So reggaeternity came about really to make sure that only do we provide a service to support and promote UK reggae music um, for veteran artists in the business, we also want to provide a platform for emerging reggae artists, younger emerging reggae artists that are buying into the genre as well. Um, if you go to our, our website www.reggaefraternityuk.com, you'll see what we stand for, that's just that. And we've got a, 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 a statement of objectives, a mission statement. If you go on the website, you'll see that that's exactly what we set out to do, um, provide that platform and to keep the reggae music alive. We did a, a symposium last week. We will try and sort out some of the nuances of navigating the reggae industry, and there are quite a few of them. And one of them being um, some radio DJs won't play UK reggae music. They only play Jamaican reggae music. It's a fight, another fight. So we're saying, well, hold on a second. The quality of some of the UK reggae is just as well, just as good as the Jamaican reggae music. Come on, DJs, stop discriminating against your own. And they're UK DJs, you know? But it maybe seems more fashionable to them to play Jamaican reggae music than it is to play UK reggae music. We want to make sure there's a level playing field, basically. Obviously, we're trying to raise our profile as much as we can. Um, we've got, um, as I said, a website. Get people to visit the website. Um, what we're trying to do as well, we're trying to map out UK reggae music the best we can, starting with we like to celebrate every UK reggae artist's Earth Strong, their birth night, their birth, their birthday, by announcing it on social media. Um, we do that. We've kicked that off. Um, a lot of people are, are pleased with that. We also put, um, profile on our, on our website every UK reggae release, um, where you can get it, um, how you can get it, what label it's on, give them all the information they need around that. And that's every UK release. We came about in 2005. We're still a relatively young organisation. We, we've been around, um, there's only half a dozen of us, volunteers, so we don't get paid for this. And uh, obviously the only thing we can rely on um, is funding um, to, to survive. So apart from our immediate core committee members who obviously make donations, um, it, it's all voluntary, so we've got no funding. Um, having said that, um, we did manage to get some funding a few years back and we put on a very good event at the Clapham Grand um, called the Legacy um, Event. Um, and everybody loved that concept because what that was about was showcasing veteran reggae artists alive or past and their offsprings and relatives. So we had on that show, we had the likes of Lorna G was performing with her son. We had the likes of um, Dennis Brown's daughter, Marla Brown, performing. We had the likes of Dennis Bevel, we had them there, we had the likes of Silver Taylor. So what we did, we, we I know, again, I, I use the analogy, football analogy again, because I'm a big football fan. Um, the best football teams are made up of a good blend of youth and experience. Why just have the veterans on stage when we've got so much 
young talent coming through as well. So what we're all about is showcasing both. People recognise that we were passing on the baton as well, you know, to the emerging artists and the offsprings of these famous artists. And um, we hope to put on a Legacy 2 for Brent 2020 culture, if we can get the funding. Um, call it an image, if you like. People like to... One thing with you, you, human nature is people like to pigeonhole you. So they actually put reggae part and parcel as the Rastafarian faith, you know. Um, I can honestly say not everybody who plays reggae music and who's a Rasta is necessarily practicing Rasta, you know, Rastafarian uh, religion. So um, some people prefer it just as an image. But that's the main association, that's the main identity, I think. Reggae is not a risk, but that's where, where it was portrayed by the, the, the people we had to rely on who could, who, who could actually approve it. You, you, you can't put on any major event without getting the Metropolitan Police to approve it. Uh, because one thing, the first thing they're going to think about is how it's going to be policed. Sadly, you get it with football again. Sorry, I keep on going back to football. But all the biggest games that people attend, they need to be crowd control. And, and police have to be involved in the crowd control. Otherwise, you know, you, you have, you have, it, it, it's a health risk and people's lives are at risk. And you, and you think about the Hillsborough disaster as a prime example of that, where people were crushed to death, you know, because there wasn't proper crowd control. Um, so yes, that's the risk element. Musicians, song, singer-songwriters, we all have a responsibility, Chiron. We are educating people through our music. Um, so I don't think people, I think people underestimate the power of songwriting. Um, so, you know, reggae music can pick you up when you're down. Reggae music can put you on a high when you're down. Uh, at the same time, reggae music can put you on a different plane, you know, um, culturally. So just remember your messages when you're writing music. That's all I say. Um, you know, because that will make the difference between whether people buy into it or not. So you have to get your political messages out there. But at the same time, like all the best journalists, you have to be neutral as well. You have to be neutral and diverse. Um, make sure that you're appealing to the widest audience possible. Well, I mean, you, 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 I, I am a firm believer that Brent is the capital of reggae. Um, because I, as I, I've named a few artists that I've, I was inspired me uh, early on in an interview. But then you'll get people from South London that will say, well, they had quite a lot of... Um, artists that pioneered reggae music as well in their areas. But I'm a firm believer that Brent um, pioneered it because we had the likes of Trojan Records in Neasden. That's where they were based. We had the likes of Hawkeye Records based in Harlesden, the heart of Harlesden. That's where they were based. We had the likes of Brent Black Music Co-op that provided a rehearsal facility for lots of upcoming musicians and artists and Jamaican artists that came over um, in Wilsden. Um, We've always provided facilities and, um, and, 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 and demonstrated that we uh, can do business, put business back into reggae by doing business properly and correctly. Um, and, and those organisations that I've just mentioned are prime examples of that. And I'm proud of that.
and that's where I grew up, in Harlesden. More of what we're doing, more of getting um, the, 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 the government to, 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 to obviously support and, 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 and you know, feed the culture. Um, obviously, um, nothing survives without um, income streams. So, you know, I'd like to see foundations, more foundations built so we have more Hawkeyes, we have more BBMCs, we have more Trojan records, you know. Um, not so much um, just record shops, but, you know, establishments that can sell merchandise, you know, reggae merchandise as well, T-shirts, key rings. Let's make a business of it, you know. That's, that's, my, that's my vision. And also... Um, it's very good that all the blue plaques that are going up and around um, halls, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, blue plaques obviously is an initiative whereby we recognise some of the veteran artists who used to live in Brent. That's a good thing. Let's do more of that. And 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 finally, um, you know, let's just um, provide our youths with the um, tools to feed their talent. If they can't see. Um, that this buying into this genre is going to make them a living, they'll find some other genre to buy into. We've got to get them, we've got to let them see that this is something worthwhile doing. So let me just end by saying International Reggae Day on the 1st of July is something that we are also trying to popularise because it's again a way of keeping reggae alive. Um, it's an initiative that was first invented in Jamaica and by Jamaican Tourist Board and Jamaican High Commission's own admittance they probably haven't showcased it as much as they should because it's been going for about just under 10 years I believe 